Welcome to Reimagining the Contact Center, where you can learn from experts that are pioneering the most promising strategies to evolve your contact center and take your operations to new heights. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Eduardo Nofuentes, the founder and director of the Agile Contact Center and director at New21. Both are consultancies that transform organizations so their employees can produce their best, most innovative work together. Eduardo launched the Agile Contact Center after discovering that his Agile methodology doubled CSAT scores, reduced agent error by 72%, and led to an agent tenure of 2.5 years. Don't see that in the contact center space often. Today, we'll be talking about how Eduardo transformed his contact center to achieve these results and what steps you can take to introduce Agile to your contact center. Hello, Eduardo. Good talking to you. Uh, good morning, Mark. Um, good talking to you too. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are so welcome. You know, one of the things that uh, stuck out to me when you and I met is how you got into the contact center space. It was such a unique story. Would you mind kind of starting with that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, it was a bit by accident, as I, as I mentioned to you. So um, I was very, I think I was very lucky to to bump into this contact center world. Um, as you can tell by my accent, uh, I was um, I was born in, in Spain, in, in Barcelona, and, and then I moved to Australia 15 years ago. So my accent is a mix of Spanish as Australian. Hopefully, um, you can, everyone can understand <laughs> this, this uh, particular mix of accents. Um, so I moved to Australia 15 years ago. Uh, my career has always been around sales strategy, sales operations. And I was, as I said, I was very lucky in 2012, I joined uh, a company here in Melbourne in Australia called realestate.com.au. Is the equivalent or is a, is a real estate, real estate portal. Uh, so the equivalent, I think, of Zillow is the, is the main one in the US for the US, um, for, your, for your US audience. So very rapid growing organization, digital world. And um, my role at the time was, was called customer experience manager, if I recall correctly. correctly. And one of the teams that I had in the, underneath under that umbrella was the contact center. And I had no experience managing contact centers at all. So I said to the company, I've never managed a contact center. And they said, you know, in, in a very Australian way, you'll be all right. You know, you, I'm sure you can figure it out. You're a smart guy. So they uh, launched me into the contact center world with, with zero experience um, around it. So that's how I, how I started in this world. And as, as I said, I didn't have experience managing a contact center, but I had a lot of experience using contact centers. So and I knew the things that I like as a, as a customer of contact centers and, and the lots of things that I didn't like as a user of a, of a contact center. So I tried to use a lot of common sense when managing that team or, or drawing from my own experience. The company at the time was, um, as I said, it was a digital company, very rapid growing organization, and they were using um, Agile as, you know, especially in the software and IT teams. And there was a bit of a push uh, within the company to try to replicate um, those methodologies outside the, the, the software and product teams. So I guess I became a bit of a champion, if you like, in trying these methodologies outside. And the contact center was one of the first ones that we tried. 
So I started, you know, learning about Agile at the same time that I was learning about contact centers. And I think we were able to come up with a really good approach that, as you said on your introduction, um, yield very uh, um, outstanding results for both the people working in the contact center, for, but for the organization as well. Eduardo, one of the interesting things that I heard is the lack of experience or the lack of context about what a great customer experience looks like led you to ask yourself, if I were a customer, what would a great customer experience look like? Why do you think other organizations don't do that? Because it seems like it's common sense. <laughs> I'm not too sure, Mark. I'm, I'm hoping that more and more organizations are asking themselves those questions, right? But um, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I think, um, I think um, sometimes, you know, we, we take for granted that, um, you know, the way of managing a team or an organization has to be the same way that it was, you know, created perhaps or thought, you know, 50 years ago. And, you know, times have changed and times have evolved. And it happens as well outside the context and the world, if we think about, you know, organizations as a whole. Yeah, I, I think uh, a piece of it is, is a scale issue, which is that you get to a certain scale and the customer is abstracted through several layers of uh, metrics and organization and hierarchy. And you're uh, looking at your balance sheet, you go, aha, I can bring uh, this uh, like line up and this line down if I just make calls a little shorter. And you're uh, thinking about it from the operating level rather than the customer level. I think that's one of the pressures that we feel in the contact center space sometimes. I think you're absolutely right. Now I'm hearing to yourself, um, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, in the contact center space, one of my favorite sayings, Mark, is um, contact centers shouldn't manage calls. They should manage customers. And we, I see a lot, you know, contact center managers trying to manage calls and direct calls or contacts. When I talk about calls, contacts, both email and, you know, on phone, rather than trying to understand what the customers want and what the customers don't want, especially, and yep. manage those customers better. Yep, I, I totally get that. At the end of the day, it's not a ticket, it's a person. Exactly, exactly. We, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something, when, when, um, um, it's just the nuances of the language change a lot. Um, when we started uh, using some of the agile methods to run the contact center, as you probably know, there's a lot of visual management. There's a lot of things that you put visually so the teams can manage themselves. And just changing a little bit the language. I remember when we started um, uh, visualizing some of the stats of the contact center, for example, you know, the number of emails that we had on the queue you know, someone wrote something like tickets or tickets and solve or something like that, which makes it very impersonal. Mm -hmm. So we change that to customers waiting for us. And customers that- Waiting for us, I love that. Rather than tickets and solve, which doesn't mean anything, right? Um, so if you see a number of, you know, we have 500 tickets um, pending or something like that in, instead of, 500 customers waiting for us. Wow. So then uh, it seems like you you guys made some pretty significant changes in how you 
think about the customer experience and how and the language you use. Um, you know, in the agile methodologies that, that you brought to the contact center, what are some of the other biggest changes that you tend to make uh, when you were evaluating the operation? That's really good, Mark, what you just said. I think, I think that's the key. You, you mentioned something, it's you change the way you think about, about your, your operations. So I think that's the, that's the main change that is hard uh, for contact centers to change the way they think about you know, their work, the, the, the way they think about the operation. So I think we, you know, we use sort of three, three pillars, if you like. Uh, one was uh, the agile ways of working, which I'll explain in a minute. The other one was what we call a systems thinking approach, which is thinking about the contact center as a system within the organization. And the, and the third one was uh, a lean also thinking, um, a lean approach. So there's three, three pillars. Agile ways of working, as you probably know, comes from software development and started is a methodology that started 20 years ago. And it's about rapid iteration and it's about um, continuous improvement and it's about um, short uh, bursts of um, 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 work um, to deliver a project. But there is much more than that. When, when, the, when the agile methodology was created, um, it's about, um, it was created with uh, some values and principles around it. Not so much a step-by-step -step guide on how to do or, or how to run a project. It was conceived uh, with some values and mindsets and principles behind it. And those values, principles, uh, and mindsets behind it, it's pretty much about collaboration, transparency, trust, respect, customer centricity, right? So when you apply those to the way a contact center works, you don't have to follow strictly a agile methodology that you will follow in a, in a software project team, right? You start drawing from some of the tools and practices, but making it work in a contact center world. So for example, mm -hmm. you know, we use, as I said, we use a lot of uh, visual management tools, uh, both for the contact center leaders to manage the projects within the contact center, but also for the contact center teams to run themselves and to run the daily operations themselves. We use uh, retrospectives to understand what was working and what wasn't working. We use, um, um, you know, um, a lot of trust within our uh, um, people as well, with our, you know, workforce. So one of the things that a lot of people uh, couldn't believe is that uh, the agents were doing the rosters, were choosing the rosters themselves. Mm. We didn't have we have someone looking at the overall workforce management, knowing more or less how many contacts we're going to get. But at the end, it was the agents themselves that were managing when they want to work or in which channel they were going to work and managing them themselves rather than the having them. Behind that? Huh? What was the thinking behind that? Well, it's about self-organizing teams and it's about... Um, empowering people to make decisions. So if you empower your people to, uh, to make decisions, I feel they're gonna be more engaged, more empowered, will feel more present within, within the contact center. If you have a manager telling you what to do all, all day, your brain is gonna switch off. 
So the, for us, the leaders, is it's all about setting up a system of work that works for the contacts and the team, for the people in the organization. So that's some of the things we did from an agile point of view. Um, but I think the biggest difference was thinking as the contact center, as I said, as a, as a system within itself and with, within the organization. And mentioned before that, you know, a lot of contact centers in my mind um, manage calls. You know, how many calls do we owe? How many contacts do we receive? How sure they are? How long they are? How can we shorten those? How can you redirect those to um, all the channels or, you know, or self-serve, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of that, we were looking at um, the demand that was coming from our customers and thinking, is this a contact or a call that a customer wanted to make or not? And you realize, especially in service contact centers, that 70% of the calls that your customers are making they do not want to make. So rather than trying to manage that call, why don't you start understanding why those calls are coming through and how can you perhaps eliminate them from coming in? And then you start changing the thinking, as you mentioned before, Mark, and you start creating a team that is working not towards managing a call better, Mm -hmm. but understanding how can we work better with the business to eliminate the calls that are coming through? I think um, I think I'm, I mentioned um, we we were a very rapid growing organization and we were able to re- uh, reduce the number of calls by forty percent year on year on a business that was growing thirty percent year on year, which means, for example, that I didn't need new people. I didn't need new people to join the team, which the CFO loved me for that because every year, you know, when people put their envelope to see how many people and how much budget they need, I said, I don't need more budget because, you know, we're able to be much more efficient in this way of thinking. So that's some of the things that we apply, Mark. Yeah. When it comes to eliminating calls, uh, most folks will use the term call deflection and they'll talk about implementing solutions like the IVR, like chat, um, like maybe a virtual assistant, um, you know, how do you think about call deflection? Do you use that term? And then, you know, where do your explorations tend to lead you? Where, what are perhaps some of the um, creative ways that you guys have found you've been able to eliminate calls that might have a little bit more of a modern mindset than call mm-hmm. deflection? Yeah, that's great point. We didn't use that term. And probably, again, it's because my lack of experience in the industry, right? So we didn't use the term call deflection. We, we use the, the term um, failure the man and value the man. Hmm. So failure the man is a call that a customer doesn't want to make. Va- value the man is a, a, a call or a contact that your customers do want to make. And the idea was to eliminating those failure demands, not deflecting them, but coming them all together. So I don't know, an example, if you work for a, um, a mobile company, a, a cell company, and you you receive your, your bill and it's incorrect, what are you going to do? You're going to call the company or you're going to contact the company and say, hey, you overcharged me here. So that's a failure, a failure call. Yeah. If you want to upgrade your 
broadband and get more gigabytes or whatever it is, and you contact them, that's a value call. Yeah, that's something that you want to receive. So <clears throat> how can we remove those failure calls from coming in? I'll tell you what, 90% of the failure calls don't have anything to do with the contact center. 90% of the calls are originary somewhere else in the business. So it will be in the finance department because they send the wrong bill, or it will be in the marketing department because they send the wrong um, letter, marketing letter, or it will be in the technology team because they broke the website or you know, uh, here and there. Um, the only cause of failure the man in a contact center that is caused by the contact center is when it's poor quality, when an agent has provided the wrong advice to a customer and then the customer needs to call again. So we we had two, sorry, we had two, two main focus. One is improving the quality, which I know you're very passionate about at Balto as well, improving the quality of, of, of the, the agents and two, working with the business in eliminating the failure demand coming into the contact center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The The contact center should never be the cause of the calls coming into the contact center. That's right. Uh, that is uh, the exact opposite business result that you are hoping that that particular organization will achieve. That's um, right. I, I'm curious with the, with the agile methodologies that you guys implement, you often, when people hear agile, they think uh, make constant changes and move fast. Hmm. Are those the the aims of your Agile Contact Center program, or are there different aims? It is part of it. I think um, I think rapid iteration is 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 some of it. Um, is some of the principles, I guess. Um, when we work with organizations, for example, as a whole, um, we tend to talk about. Uh, the difference between planning and plans. So um, plans in today's world, I think they're probably obsolete. Like, like if you work in a company and you spend six months doing the annual business plan mm. and you put it on a, a PowerPoint presentation of 75 pages, you probably they're probably obsolete by the day you finish it. But planning is very important. So how do you do more planning more often um, without the needs of big plans, right? So, um, and it's about shortening that cycle of planning, executing, reviewing, and adapting to the changes. So to answer your, your question, yes, adapting to changes, it's important if you do it in a purposeful and deliberate way. Um, chaos and changing, um, you know, changing lines very quickly is probably not what Agile is. So in a way, Agile is very structured in a way that allows you to move quickly and easily, but in a structured manner. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think that um, a bit of a controversial stance here, I think that plans that are one year plans or more are dying in the business world in general. And I think the reason is that things are moving so much faster 
the spread of information with the internet is so much faster, the spread of, of how quickly world events unfold because it's so interconnected is so much faster. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, countries like China that, you know, in the seventies uh, um, were completely you know, developing economies. And now, you know, China's economic uh, is an economic superpower. Um, and that happened just a span of a few decades. Um, so I think that one of the things that folks are experiencing in the business world is uh, the 12-month plans they used to create aren't working for them anymore. And they're trying to figure out how they can shorten their cycles. I think that's especially true in the contact center. I couldn't agree more, Mark. Uh, I don't think it's controversial. I think it's, it's, it's very much what we're finding out there today. We, we, we say um, have a clear vision and a vague plan. So know very well where you want to go, have a very clear destination on where you want to go, but don't care so much how you're going to get there. Um, I mean, we've seen it last year with, with COVID. I, I would love to see all the business plans pre-COVID of all the companies that spend six months developing those. And then when March hit, what happened to those plans? Great idea. <laughs> Great idea. You could actually compile an ebook. I'm thinking about it now. You could compile an ebook where you pull out the from all of, of the top Fortune 500 public companies, you yeah. pull out uh, their page on what their strategic plan was for 2020 and you uh, compare it to what, what actually happened. I'd have That's to think you're quite right that that would be a, a very interesting case study. That's it. <laughs> Where do you think moving fast in the contact center matters? Where are the places that it really matters and where are the places that it's just nice to have? Well, I think, I think this is one of the things that I, I found um, exhilarating about the contact center. Is it not coming from the contact center world. Um, that almost daily sprint that the contact center is, it was both exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. It's almost every day is a race to, you know, to make sure that all your customers are well served or, you know, if it's a sales contact center that you've achieved, you know, whatever goals or targets you, you had for today. So I think if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's a part of the business that needs to move fast and be agile, it's the contact center. And... Sadly, I think it's been the opposite. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Uh, why is that the part that needs to move fast? Because you're the closest to the customer. I think it's okay as you go up in the organization or outside in the organization uh, you, to, you know, you always need to be fast. We're always going to, you know, talk to cost, um, companies to be fast. But I think the closest you are to the customer, the closest you are, you need to, to iterate and move faster. Mm -hmm. And the contact center is at the center, in my mind, in an organization. That's why I get so frustrated when I see uh, organizations that what they do is that they put the contact center completely outside the, the organization, like either outsource or, you know, or in another building, or I think the contact center should be at the center of, at the heart of organizations, because it's the one that's going to tell you what your customers are telling, uh, you know, think about your company. 
there's so much density of information in those customer conversations that I think um, we're just starting as an industry to figure out how to use that information. And, and speech analytics were a good first push. You know, when yeah. you had, uh, you'd upload, you know, batches of 40,000 hours of, of call recordings and then pick through different sentiments and trends. Um, but I think that what folks found is that uh, they then looked at that data and said, now what? Um, and that, that second half, the execution, the quick feedback loop was that was the piece that was missing. Um, I wonder what sort of information you think contact centers should be pulling out of their customer conversations. Um, you probably, you probably have more experience than me on, on that. And I love to hear more about, you know, your, your thoughts on this. Um, I've, I've, like, if you ask me about the future of, of contact, let me just re reframe it as the future of contact centers. For me, the future of contact center shouldn't be called a contact center because I, as a customer, probably don't need to contact you anymore mm -hmm. because you've got so much intelligence and information to know what's going to happen for me. And then you fix it before even I realize. So I think... Um, contact centers or service teams of the future, I would like to see to, I would like to see them predicting what's happening with the customers and fixing issues even before they happen. Like today we've got so much information that we probably could, we probably could start uh, you know fixing issues for our customers before they even realize. And the next level would be, well, I realize rather than me having to contact you, you contact me and you tell me what do I need to do or that it's been fixed, right? And I think the bottom of that scale is when I need to contact a contact center to get something fixed. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see AI and, you know, um, and, and technology playing more in that, in that space. Uh, rather than, again, uh, what I've seen in the industry, Mark, you, you, I'm curious um, to hear from you, but what I'm seeing in the industry is technology used to manage calls, again, you know, deflection and, you know, chatbots and all these things, rather than to using to think about the customer and predicting what a customer would like to hear from your company. I don't know, what's, what's your take, um, Mark? Yeah, I think uh, that predictive element is spot on. And um, the other technology trends that we're seeing enable that. I'll give an example. I just bought a new scale the other day, uh, trying to trim down after uh, this COVID fiasco. And I bought a new scale and it's a smart scale. So it's hooked up to my phone uh, and it's then hooked up to Apple Health. So it takes all my stats, my daily weigh-in and my uh, it, it, I, my age is in there and um, the body fat percentage and all of that is, is there in this app. Um, well, it seems that, you know, as the Internet of Things continues to develop, that um, the scale should be able to pop a, a message on my app that says, hey, looks like I'm running out of battery, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, or, Hey, I got a part that's not working. Um, yeah. And I was speaking with a contact center 
um, a few months ago, um, and you know, they're in the uh, like home appliance, like blender space. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that they were interested in tracking is uh, which parts were customers calling in about that were most often faulty. Well, right now we have the ability at, at scale for organizations to analyze that information, say, ah, it appears the blades are the most commonly requested problem. So we're going to send out everyone a coupon for a new set of blades or, or something like that. Nice. Um, or if someone says they have the blades issue, we'll put you right to the top of the queue. And we have a specific uh, you know, call flow that we work through on blades. So people can do that today. Yeah. What I'm excited for people to do a, a year from now is you, know, you get a, a message on your app that says, hey, uh, there's been an update to your product. Click this button and chat with a customer representative who can walk you through what upgrades you're able to get for this product. Uh, and that could be a could be a profit opportunity too if it's done right. So I think that that melded customer experience is what we're going to see coming out of this predictive element. But uh, for folks who don't think it's going to get predictive, I got to say, um, I, I think you, you might be uh, very surprised it will come faster than I think a lot of us expect. I love that, and and I completely agree. So it's it's more it's less about receiving contacts and managing calls, as as we were saying, Mark, and more about gathering intelligence and and predicting and being on the front foot of your customer experience, rather than waiting and being reactive, being much more proactive. That's probably what I would like to see. How did you change that paradigm? Because I think that contact centers right now have a reputation or at least historically have had a reputation for being the dinosaurs, the organization. Mm. Um, uh, you know, how do we change the culture behind contact centers and you know, what do we think is driving that change right now? Well, hopefully podcasts like this will help Mark. And I know you're doing, you're doing a lot <laughs> to help. Um, you're absolutely right. It's, and I go back to your point before, it's about changing that thinking. Um, luckily, there's more organizations, there's more forward-thinking organizations out there that they realize that the traditional way of managing a contact center is not going to cut it if they want to compete you know, in the digital world. So those companies, they're asking themselves, how can we do things better? And you know, I'm sure there's companies out there that are doing really cool things in this in this space as well. Um, we we use the term system of work. So to change the thinking of a contact center, you need to change what we call the system of work. The system of work is all the processes, the ways a company or a team operates. So for example, um, uh, if you want I'll give you an example. If you want a more collaborative sales team, I'll give you an idea. I'll give you an example. So, you know, our, our sales results are not good and we believe that's because our team is not collaborating. You can ask them to collaborate more or you can change your system of work. So, for example, rather than have individual targets and quarters, have team quarters. You've made an adjustment to the way the team works to get a result in behavior. I'm not suggesting that you know, every company should do that. I mean, it was just an example on how tweaking the way you set up your operations is gonna have an effect in the thinking and in the behaviors 
of 18 uh, per se. Um, you know, in the context in the world, if you stop measuring average handle time, people start thinking quality instead. Mm -hmm. But if you go to your agents and, and you say, look, you know, last month you, your average handle time was one minute 30 and this month is one minute 45, you know, they're not going to be thinking about quality, for example. Mm -hmm. So the things you measure, this process that you put, all those change the system of work and change the system and the behavior, the thinking and the behaviors in organizations. Hope this makes sense, Mark. It, it does. And because the contact center is an organization that fundamentally operates at scale, the whole idea is that you have many people who are servicing many customers and you need the system to be right in the aggregate for everybody. Um, one of the things I think that contact centers think a lot about is the incentive structures they have in place. So if we went back uh, to the start of the episode, we were talking about your workforce management system. Um, I think a lot of folks might say, huh, well then aren't the agents gonna all rush in and try to pick the best uh, shifts or the easiest channel? Um, so how do you tackle that sort of problem? That's a great question. And a lot of people that came to see how we operated back in 2012, because um, it became a bit of a case study, at least here in Melbourne, in Australia, we had a lot of uh, folks coming to see, what do you mean you're doing all these things in a contact center? You're changing the traditional way, right? And that was one of the questions that we were asked, you know, well, people are gonna choose the best, you know, shift or the best channel, yeah? And I, I used to, you under, underestimate the power of the group in here. Um, um, the way we used to do it is we used to have all the information available for everyone. So the teams with some structure, you, give, you need to give some structure, but the teams will choose, you know, with shifts or with channels. And, you know, um, if I chose the easy channel yesterday, Mark, we're in the same team and I chose email, for example, because it's easier because I can do it at my own pace, let's say, and you had to do phone. Um, tomorrow, when we do, when we have the same conversation, I'm probably going to be the one that says, hey, Mark, I did emails yesterday. What about, you know, you do it today. So, and that's exactly what happened rather than when you give people information and when you give people empowerment, they usually take the right decisions. When you treat people like adults, they behave like adults. When you treat people like kids, they behave like kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what we see sometimes with contact center, you know, the whole cheating the system, you know, agents try to cheat the system, but, but I think that's because we gave them, we give them all rather than letting them take decisions. And when you do it in a group setting, it's, it's amazing to witness how they take each other into consideration and manage themselves. Now that I'll give you an example, I've gave you an example of two people, you and I, you know, the challenges do it at scale with, you know, a thousand people contact center, right? But it's setting up that structure and that system so it can happen anyway. Truly incredible. Um, and it makes sense and it sounds like transparency is critical to that because if uh you know you can get uh the same channel the phone um or let's say there's an easier channel 
and uh, you can snag that channel if you uh, do it in the beginning of the day and no one knows and day after day you can kind of uh, keep getting the easiest channel then you don't have that group accountability which i imagine that you know the remote world is definitely putting some pressure on that um, absolutely it's all about it's all about um a um, transparency it's all about trust it's all about uh, providing the tools um, the remote world is, is a very interesting one um, when I when I finished my my time with um, realestate.com the company that I was mentioning before where we try all these things as I said I had a few people interested in in me replicating what we do for them which is when I decided to create um, the brand, the Agile Contact Center brand. And I was very lucky. One of the first customers, I think I mentioned this to you when we met a couple of weeks ago, Mark, but one of the first customers that found me um, was Shopify in Canada. And Shopify, I think I said this to you, I've learned more things from them than they learned from me, right? But um, Shopify was... Uh, insane. They, I think at the time they had already um, a support team of 1,200 people and 90% of those were remote. Mm. And I still think they are. They, they, they definitely are remote first organization. So the director of support, sorry, Mark? Uh, what year was that, Eduardo? I, was, I think it was 2016. Um, so the director and support um, called me and said, you know, like I've been reading all these things you've been doing with, with Agile and your contact center. Do you think we can make that work at scale and remotely? And then I took a deep breath <laughs> and I said, well, we can, we can definitely try. And it works because, as I said, it's about that thinking. If the leaders of the contact center have that thinking, it's about setting that system of work that can go, work both face-to-face -face and remotely. Like, you know, look at this, like you're in San Luis, I'm in Melbourne, Australia, you know, we're having a conversation. So um, technology has enabled us uh, to be able to have transparency and, and collaboration anywhere in the world. So it can happen. It's incredible. I, I think one of the things that people underestimate is there's, you know, two types of tools. There's probably a million, but there's two types of tools. There's like a technology tool um, that you're using. And then in the business world, there's also an organizational tool. And I think that we in the contact center space for uh, quite some time have been piling tools up on top of each other, uh, different methods of management. And now we have all of this uh, management that we're doing. Um, and perhaps we need to take some of the old tools and retire them and take some of the new tools and put them in and maybe just cut out the number of organizational tools we're using in general. Um, I'd be very interested to see what contact center management looks like in the next 10 years, just as much as contact center technology. I agree hundred percent. I think technology is great, but I think in the contact center world, we've relied too much on technology. Um, and almost finding the silver bullet, you know, in, in the new technology um, thing. Um, and as you said, we've been stacking technology over technology and forgotten about um, the principles of why we're there, right? Um, I think the future of management 
in the contact center to me is about having that systems thinking capability like being able to see your contact center as part of a system in itself and then a system within the organization what are the elements as a leader that you can pull at different times to get better result so to me is having that systems thinking capacity or capability and also that human center approach um i think the biggest asset for contact centers are the people that work for them and i think we have relied too much on technology to do the work and almost humans are there to run the, those technology you know solutions that you mentioned when we should rely much more on the human element and give those humans that the right technology that's going to help them be more efficient more effective and provide better customer experience so i couldn't agree more with you mark eduardo this was wonderful thank you so much for joining us my pleasure thanks for having me you are so welcome i'll talk to you soon thank you mark bye 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 bye